And we'll never be royals. It's been stuck in my head lately. I, we are here. We being everyone sucks here. Yeah. Brian yeah. and Jerome. Yeah. We're here. Yep. No longer in Brian's hot room to do this cold open. Yeah. Why are we doing a cold open? I thought we had broken free of the cold open format in this right. last episode. Well, sometimes you try out a new setting on an old thing. Uh-huh. And then it completely fucks you, and you don't know until you're done. Um, basically, when our guest, Roman, from the No Judgment Zone, Delightful comes to guy. join us. Super, super, Charming super great man. dude. Uh, for some reason, I, I said, uh, let me go and mess with some settings first before we do this. It'll all sound great. And the audio part of it sounds great. What doesn't sound great is that... It cuts off words like a motherfucker. And, you know, normally, like, maybe this could be tolerated, but on such a, a, a high prestige, high caliber educational program, wow. such as Everyone Sucks Here, <laughs> when the essential information goes missing, we have to, you know, re-record some bits. So uh, please excuse the choppy audio and the sound bites that sort of sound like they were added in after the fact. Oh, boy. Uh, and yeah, um, we hope you still enjoy this episode. If I choose big fuck up, you will enjoy it. Um, <laughs> and I will accept that because I'm a person who is completely comfortable sitting in my wrongs. And I've, I've already figured Once out how to change move your This is an episode of Everyone Sucks Here, and I am uh, one of your hosts, uh, Brian. And I'm Jerome. And today, uh, we have a very special guest uh, in, in the pod pod room. His name's Roman. He's from a podcast called No Judgment Zone. It's so and good. Little does he know, oh. we tricked him here. Touch him. Dear God. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. It's honestly all I'm good at, so. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of this show. It's called Everyone Sucks Here. You didn't think you were gonna, thought you were going to get out of here unroasted? Like, listen to every goddamn episode, <laughs> too. I definitely should have seen this coming. Which, also, the other day at work, because Roman and I worked together, he said, you know, it is a damn podcast episode, because I just have all the time thinking, everyone sucks. I'm like, yeah, get it. It's the time, you know, we stole it from Reddit, but... That's okay. I'm a personal mantra Some, for me. So. Yeah. Sometimes Whatever. Reddit comes up. Red, Reddit is for white men and so you steal from white men. So. Oh, yeah. yeah true. That's yeah. true. We're evening, you know, we're evening out the scales. Basically. Yeah. But we actually do have a real topic. Let Roman, Roman say hi. Oh, yeah. Hi, oh, I mean, I don't have to, but hello, I'm Roman uh, from the No Judgment Zone podcast. Uh, yeah. What is the No Judgment Zone podcast? I mean, what a great question, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, without going too far into it, we basically, uh, you know, we, it, I would say, listeners, it's a little bit more of like a Jerome podcast than a Brian podcast. 
podcast. You know, Woo! it's very fun. Uh, not that Brian's not fun. I'm, but, like, I'm it, not fun. <laughs> okay, I've already accepted this long ago. But no, we just we basically analyze uh, rock influenced pop music from the '90s and 2000s, and we like like to talk about different media happening at the time. Sometimes different political stuff happening at the time, but mostly we just like to talk about like who rocked, who sucked, and like who was fucking who. So very fun. Uh, I, I I I would watch things like. Uh, music when I was younger so this is like a behind me music now with people that I like telling the stories and it's very fun it's super fun they just did an episode about Lynn I learned more about Lynn than I ever thought I would <laughs> beyond uh, Steal My Sunshine <laughs> to know about Lynn they're like yeah. Canada's secret you know gift to but America what I have learned about them is that their their commitment to keeping it fucking real uh, and to just being like no nah, I'm, I'm not about this shit I'm out that's it's a, it's a nice little nugget to take away from the burger pimp yeah oh I know oh I did listen if you know about the burger pimp. I did listen. <laughs> Respect. I, no, I haven't listened to that episode yet, so I'm behind in the back. That's all right. Yeah. Don't get there. So, uh, in my constant attempt to make things on, uh, <laughs> we're going to take Roman's premise of talking about shitty music, and we're going to talk about the sort of like uh, dialectical and historical materialist origins of sub music. Spoiler alert. It all goes back to 9-11. Did you forget? I forgot. Oh, I God. Forgot. Where, where were each of you on 9-11? Quick answer. I was in high school, and I the first thing I remember hearing about it was like telephone, where a dude told me that a soldier got drunk and crashed a, heliga a helicopter into the Pentagon. Yeah. Right. I was in Catholic school and my parents both had to work full time, so I did not get picked up. Catholic school, what what grade? Second grade. Second With my man Jesus protecting me from was, the enemies. I was in high school. God damn. So I have a much more. I was getting my first car on 9 11. <laughs> I oh, started yeah, covered that. driving while Roman was in second grade. Okay. Uh, we love how the youth is leading America. Anyways, uh, continue, Brian. <laughs> yeah. So, so <clears throat> we're basically going to take a look at. Um, Sort of like evolution of pop culture after 9-11 from, like I said, the uh, historical materialist sort of point of view, which is the point of like industry trends that led to some of these mass changes, but also sort of like the cultural and political changes uh, that were occurring within the country that led to what a lot of people have sort of identified as like the dumbing down of American culture. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to like take a specific focus on like the three kind of like big genres, which is like rock, uh, country music, hip hop, and what happened to those uh, musical outlets as this change into the everyone yeah, both of these boys have their laps. I, I brought nothing but baps. So. Yeah, oh, but you know, it's a, everyone's got to contribute, and this is a useful contribution. There you go. So you know, let, I mean, just let's get into this episode, boys. All right, I'm in. get this um this serious part off i guess i'm going to read a quote um, yeah. so it's Frank Delano Roosevelt uh, in 1943 he said that entertainment is always a national asset 
Invaluable in times of peace, it is indispensable in wartime. All those who are working in the entertainment industry are building and maintaining national morale both on the battlefront and on the home front. So, inseparable relation between uh, like the ruling class structures in the United States and existed for a very, very long time. But we're focusing on uh, like 9-11 specifically on this episode. It's probably worth a little bit to talk about uh, culture during the other big events in our country. So just to briefly say, like World War One, World War Two, all the songs were pro-war. Oh, dude, you're trying to like hold a soldier's yeah. hand. Oh yeah, like you're the, just trying the, to, you know, the boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. He's the boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. Like all that shit. He's I mean, a they, cutie. Yeah, they were they were just singing about any opportunity to like kill, kill Japanese people and kill Nazis and. You know, we just love them. Were they like, uh, were the lyrics as problematic as content? Or oh, yeah. So, so I mean, much. there were some that definitely were like verged on like the old Disney style racism. Oh, shit. We're gonna have to slap the dirty little Jap. And Uncle Sam's the guy who can do it. We'll skin that streak of yellow from the sneaky little fella. And he'll think a cyclone struck him when we're through it. You know, and <laughs> it was a big, uh, big selling point. Like, there was a, definitely a, a folk rock scene, you know, kind of like preceding that a little bit in the right. 30s. Like your Woody Guthrie Yeah, days. Exactly. Yeah. But World War Two and poor, we entered this big fervor of you know national pride. We won the war. We were the sole superpower. Blah blah blah. Uh, and that that wave kept going until uh, kind of like 1960, uh, with Vietnam. Were the hippies the first people to start like testing the, the war were, outright? Yeah, they were the first people to start protesting the war outright. Just generally rejecting like uh, you know Americans. Oh, I should clarify. They were the first white people who were doing fire. So that made a pretty big, big difference. Okay, who in the yeah. People do it. People care. I get it. I get it. Exactly. Unfortunately, that's a common theme in American history. Great, great, great. Um, but I mean, this was also happening in tandem with like the civil rights movement and a lot of other shit like that. So like everything was kind of like popping. Um, mm, kind of like last summer when uh, now that white people had time off to join the movement. Yep. That's when uh, <laughs> that's when everybody's yeah. flooding the streets. Like I said, it's a recurring theme Woo. in American history. So Vietnam comes around and the game kind of changes, right? And mostly this is because of advances in communications and mass media. Where people are seeing uh, these reports from Vietnam, kind of edited, unfiltered, and for the first time ever, able to sort of like uh, critically engage with these things on a real time level, uh, which wasn't happening in World War II or the Korean War. Everything went through the government censor. It didn't really happen again after, but didn't we'll get there. Exactly. <laughs> it's like they almost course corrected a problem. Seems like they did, bro. Yeah, seems like they did. Man. Right? So, you know, the, the sort of like counterculture, that term emerges in the 60s and the early 70s with the Vietnam War, with that whole anti war movement. And it just basically Basically meant that people were writing protest songs again. Everybody knows fucking Creed's Clearwater Revival, Fortunate Son. You practically say the word Vietnam, and you can like you can hear that shit going off. Oh, that guitar tone yeah. immediately yeah. like rings through. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at Jerome, and maybe he can. Maybe not so much. <laughs> I mean, I understand the vibe of CCR, yeah. and I'm yeah. like, sure, let's like just seen yeah. let's yeah. generally yeah. apply yeah. this. Yeah. You've seen the movies. Anytime a helicopter flies by, like there's like a one in five chance of Fortunate Son What's the don't you want somebody like Oh yeah, yeah, Jefferson Airplane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that okay, definitely yeah. vibes with it. Uh, I remember one of my favorite, all-time favorite uh, war movies was made by Disney called Operation Dumbo Drop. Oh. Yeah, I, well, we will do an episode about this movie. <laughs> sure, let's watch it. Informative. Their opening scene was a helicopter flight through the jungle and they're blasting uh, that Give Me Some Love by Spencer Davis group. <laughs> you know, so it's yeah. just like, there's a signature sound here. And like, uh, so the this 
creates basically a wave of popular music. Pretty like anti-US, anti-US foreign policy, peacenik kind of shit. And it, it, you know, it was hard for uh, that B, I guess, to contend, right? It was in the band. Um, now that goes into the 80s, and, and then you have sort of like, the, the core was entering a new phase of people really from America. Uh, the sort of unrest of the 60s and 70s had died down. Next thing you know, you feel like the advent of party music. Like uh, on the rock angle, like the Motley Crue. Oh, we're that sort of far angle. Ahead. Yeah, yeah okay. we're, we're going ahead. Everyone's hair grew even longer. <laughs> yeah, and now there's leather. Yeah. Oh, oh, but now it's okay to have long hair. You're not a hippie. You're a cool metal guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's totally different vibe. You, but in like out where the bell bottoms, people were in with tights. Like it was just a weird. And really, the theme of the time was just excess and like having this really good time. Oh, yeah. Tight jeans. <laughs> and then again, you know, everything's dialectics. So you see a reaction to that in the '90s with the emergence of alternative rock, which is why they called it alternative rock. <sighs> Right? Blow your mind. But like, fucking Weezer and Nirvana, they hit the time right at the same time. It's like, we're not dressing cool, we're not doing... <laughs> Not doing coke, they were doing heroin. So yeah, like, maybe some cakes, yeah, yeah. in, like kind of like a downer's vibe for sure. Yeah, a different yeah. energy. Yeah, it's different sort of drugs. Uh, but they were very much like against sort of like the excesses of the '80s and like against against the U.S. like cultural milieu, but in a sort of like nihilistics. Um, right. You know, like it was all hopeless. Mm. Like it was just this fucking drag. Well, and it's important again to point out too that like that was being propped up in the '90s, right? Because mm -hmm. in the '80s, you still had all of this music happening in the goth movement and like the undercurrent, right? That was like still very like, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. just like in the 90s when it became the right moment to like, you know, an alternative, like yep. sort of got propped up. Yeah. Uh, and one of the sort of like standalone critics of the 90s alternative rock scene to emerge was this band uh, we all know and love, Rage Against the Machine. Uh, they put out their first album in 1992. Uh, they put out Evil Empire in 96, Battle of Los Angeles in 1999, uh, and then a cover album called Renegades in 2000, and then they were gone. But when the world needed him most, Vanished. In 1995, I was in fifth grade, and I just did not get what people saw in this band. I was just like, I don't know, Bulls on Parade, sure, guys. <laughs> Everyone keeps saying this, and I don't get it, but, like, whatever. Yeah. I, for years, I was just like, I was waiting it. for that song to come on the radio so I could write down as many lyrics as I could understand and then look up what the fuck because I knew this guy was mad about something. I didn't understand half of it, and I wanted oh, to know. Gosh. Right? That was one. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> But I probably thought that shit rocked. You I mean, know, I don't yeah, know. I was mean, just I, like, you, you know, you heard it's it, in your system. You shit rock, right? but, I like, didn't know about Rage until uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. Little Gorilla Radio. Oh, yeah. I turned that shit up. Battle of Los Angeles, Angeles is an amazing album. Excellent fucking album. Like, Excellent near, fucking near album. You're fucking perfect. If I would not have perfect. to agree. Yeah. So as we're moving into this sort of like new world order type era, a term called the end of history is being frequently tossed around. And, and this is like sort of addressing some of the growing pains of the era. Like uh, the Soviet Union is gone. Uh, it seems like uh, Western dominated neoliberal capitalism is just going to become the way of the world. And that's just how it's going to be forever. What sentence though? History's not going to progress past that, this point. Uh, like it's these... just like, I don't know, I guess from here it's going to be all boring, but yeah, we'll report it anyways. That's it. That's a perfect like distillation of Fukuyama's thesis is that from now on everything is just going to be boring. Like, <laughs> like, totally. Yeah, nothing is going to change and blah blah blah. And we were pretty like steady rocking with that idea right until those fucking planes crashed into the town. <laughs> and then that really fucking changed everything. 
Um, so, like, as many people might know, like, the immediate reaction uh, to 9-11 was um, knee, kind of knee-jerk and extreme one. Mm. I, Rome, what do, you, what do you know about the Clear Channel members? Oh, what a wild thing. So, listeners, Clear Channel, you might remember, they're like the billboard guys, you know? Uh, they now, they've been going by iHeartMedia since, I think, like, 2008, more mm. or less. Uh, but so, you know. And really think that they do care with, like, a heart. I heart media, so, like, I'll trust these guys, sure. Yeah. Like, heart us, we heart them. They, they heart make us. it seem they like it's a school sort of, like, yeah. music and they art. Heart, they heart us so much that they want to own every radio station in every metropolitan city. Because they want to take care of us, care right? Us. They want to play the jam. They want to hit oh. the slaps and bangers. Yeah, well, right about that. Take it. So, like, this this list, 165 songs, like, yes. different artists. And included some, like, really absurd songs. Like, um, Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World. And right. I, Brian, I'm not sure that I even mentioned that they put out a list yet, did I? I think oh, we yeah. just started talking about it. Oh, shit. Channel. Okay, yeah. No, it's okay. I love that we got excited. Yeah, we got excited. Um, Go ahead. Because it is exciting. So basically, you know, Brian mentioned 9-11 happened, right? Uh, and, you know, Clear Channel at this point, and we'll talk about this in a second, but, you know, they had basically total control over the entire, uh, like, industrial radio uh, industry, right? So they put out this this memorandum. It's 165 songs. I also saw 162 online somewhere, mm. but roughly approximately 160 songs. Uh, that they like, There's, like, apocrypha. Right, of course. There's a Clear Channel memorandum. Yeah, people are finding up like songs. They weren't sure what to do with yeah. Sugar Ray or not. They were just like, I don't know. I just want to fly. I'm not sure. Like, uh, <laughs> but basically, uh, it was songs that they recommended that people didn't play. Now, up a lot of shit at that time, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it became, like, a little bit of a thing because people were like, wait a minute, you know, Clear Channel immediately kind of wanted to defend himself and say, like, no, like, we didn't say that you couldn't play these songs. These are songs that we are just guessing that you don't right. play. Yeah, but yeah. the thing to consider about that is a DJ is such a highly coveted job and so easily replaceable. Yep. Right? So, obviously. Yep. Other, as we mentioned, Rage Against the Machine, the entire catalog was featured on that list. So, say you were a DJ in Cleveland that really liked Rage Against the Machine, and pushing back on that guideline, what the fuck's gonna happen? Later, Bob. They're gonna find a new DJ. Absolutely. They're, I remember that uh, thing about that Simpsons episode where they had like the DJ automatic. <laughs> this is the DJ 3000. It plays CDs automatically, and it has three distinct varieties of inane chatter. Hey, hey, how about that weather out there? Whoa, that was the caller from hell. Well, hot dog. We have a wiener. Man, that thing's great. Looks like those clowns in Congress did it again. What a bunch of clowns. <laughs> How does he keep up with the news like that? <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's, yeah, that's basically it. So it's basically like Clear Channel is like, hey, like, you know, if we're saying you shouldn't play these songs, don't play these songs. At this point, like, Brian, I know that, I know that you're a big, like, you know, kind of like knowing about the policy kind of guy. Would you maybe want to like touch on how the Telecommunications Act of 1996 would have created the conditions that got Clear Channel into this? That wasn't part of my notes. Oh, so sure. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick that one back over to you. Yeah, no problem. I mean, soon. Or actually, let's ask Jerome. <laughs> 1996, let's go. I was watching Gargoyles on Disney. So like, uh, what are we talking about the, here? The Telecommunications Act of 1996. Yeah, they said uh, Jerome. Who was president in 1996? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> good, good, good. Al, Al Gore didn't win, right? Uh, no, probably. <laughs> Oh, he, he, he super loved yes. this act. Yeah. Um, oh, so I used to go to the White House Easter egg hunts and really? Oh yeah. I what? Been, I went during Bush and Clinton administration. Holy shit! Well, so, you so you might have been there you, for this. You game, were probably dude. there, honey, for Easter eggs while that Ooh. motherfucker was drafting this bill. Just kidding. For I know how. Sure. What do they have in the eggs? Been eggs, what? painted eggs, Shut so the like you have them Are you forever. Mm-hmm. Oh like, my god, gold, give me some goddamn fuck. I'll take peeps over that bullshit. Are you no kidding way, me? No way, bud. Yeah, Wooden painted oh eggs. Oh my god. Wow. 
So yes, they drafted us into this telecommunications <laughs> act. Well, and I mean, you know, it's basically, you know, it was sort of one of those classic like Clinton era policies, right? Yeah. That's just kind of like putting the market to the front, making it easier for certain industries to monopolize. And I think at this point, they're probably sort of like peeking ahead and seeing sort of what's on the horizon for, you know, media and, and different possibilities with the advent of the internet, right? So basically this, uh, this act made it possible for like media companies to like absorb other ones and sort of like stripped like independent radio stations like that were still operating like operating under the market like you know it wasn't independent in the sense of like WRCT or like a college radio or whatever like that um, but it was really easy for Clear to take control of all these different outlets all over uh, the country and at the same time they were able to like do whatever they wanted with advertising so they were able to offer these like like yo like we'll get you on the radio we'll get you on a taxi cab we'll get you on a billboard like and it was just this really weird um, and Clear Channel was the media outlet that just went with it dude so that's why whenever they issued this memorandum yeah. that shit was like yo that's like the final word like right, these right. people were like off the beat you I'm know because sure, people were probably like you know typical like Seattle type Portland type yeah. probably complaining about the telecommunications all through the early 90s for sure you know lamenting the loss of their local favorite radio station like, that's what the fucking movie Airheads was about <gasps> Remember Whoa. the movie Airheads? Oh, Whoa. I've actually never watched it. But I know about it. I know Jerome, about it. Jerome, handle it. Whoa. Oh, I don't know. Uh, Brendan Fraser was cute, and then there was two other dudes in there. Uh, <laughs> Isn't Adam Sandler in it? Yeah, yeah, Tight yeah. leather pants. Oh, he played the dummy. The yeah, dummy with the drumsticks so, and stuff. For those who don't know, uh, Airheads, awesome movie. But it was about basically a, a, a rock band in Los Angeles that was like desperate to get their big break, and they they ended up like they went into a radio station to hold everybody hostage. They saw <laughs> so fucking that good. Would, that would get it. There's like a subplot going on where like the radio station was being bought up, corporate like a faceless radio entity. I don't and, know. And like the, the DJs ended up like siding with uh, the band, you know, even though they were holding them hostage because these guys are real rockers. Right? They, want, they I, want this corporate shit. Probably- Man, you got a ton of hot CDs here, and I know. Never hear this stuff. Why don't you ever play these guys? That's Milo's call. Why don't we play him, Milo? Listen, if they're so hot, how come they're not tearing up the charts, babe? Because you never play them, babe. You suck. I've seen the movie over ten times, and it's gone to my head. Gone to my fucking head. I would never be able to tell you the plot beyond like, oh, they held this t- so they can play the, the side plot. What do you mean? You don't pick up on any of that nuance, Brian. Okay, okay, okay. I mean, that's why you're on the podcast. I don't like to look underneath the underneath. Yeah, you know? but I mean, the point of everyone sucks here is like just get Jerome to join the <laughs> communist party. My lifelong yeah. mission, and I have to like, I'll teach him my bit. You know, we'll, critical we'll, thinking yeah. skills. Yeah. So I think it's been a great first season guys. you know what I mean I think we're a whole season closer yeah. to Jerome joining the communist party yeah, yeah. so there we go <laughs> um we got some ways to go so yeah clear channel buying up all the radios yeah so it just creates the material conditions for this process that you were sort of interested yeah. in I think, all right, so that's an that's an important backdrop, too. So 1999 and to, like, 2000 marked a, a significant sort of material change for the music industry uh, with the advent of the Internet and, and specifically um, person-to-person file-sharing networks. LimeWire, you love it. And, like, music started getting distributed for free. And I know that, like, people understand that this killed the music industry, but I don't think they really understand that it killed the music industry. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, like, the Metallica guy, dickish as he is, <laughs> Uh, like, had kind of right to be mad, sort of, I guess. I don't know. But, like, remember when he was going after yeah. the like, But just to give you some stats, uh, like, from 1999, uh, record sales, uh, CDs, and vinyl uh, accounted for $14.6 billion. It, by 2008, that number was down to $9 billion. Mm, so, like, that's a, that's a, that, I know that's still B, so, like, it's more money than any of us can ever fucking fathom. But in terms of, like, net loss, that's right. Yeah, because like, yeah, uh, Jeff Marigold was a uh, Pisces 
in uh, ninth and yeah, so nice. that's basically why There's in my high school. There's a reason why the FBI puts that little warning on front of everything because they'll go out hard if you do that shit. Absolutely, you know, for a reason. Fucking a. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so yeah, um, that led to like more of a process of um, like what Roman was describing with Clear Channel and radio stations. Record labels that would get bought up by record labels would oftentimes be subsidiary companies of you know big things. DreamWorks, DreamWorks, right? Yeah, get it. The next thing, Len you... actually helped destroy DreamWorks. Go ahead and check. Oh out yeah, go Len. Lynn. How did Len destroy? Took seven hundred fifty thousand dollars from them, then never gave them the record they wanted. Hell they collapsed yeah. before he could. Yeah. 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 What a fucking dude. move! <laughs> I got new respect for him. Uh, so the sort of cultural reaction. Uh, to 9-11 was one of like extreme patriotism and sort of like jingoism, which is this word that means uh, when you want your country's foreign policy to be as aggressive as possible. Basically just go around the world uh, beating the shit out of other countries. Like a lot like of like- the imperialism episode you guys just did, like yeah. a butt in song. Yeah. You but know? Yeah, but in song. song. And the most immediate and like biggest expressions of this were sad songs from the rock guys, you know, sure. Constant this, you know, immense tragedy. And uh, American songs, Country Boys, you're just gonna stick a fucking red, white, and blue boot. Dude, did. It, it was terrible. Yeah. Uh, so, Roman, tell us about the Sensi Boy reaction. <laughs> about <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, it was interesting, right? I mean, as far as like music goes, um, you know, there were some some of your, your heroes, you know, that you love, like, we're kind of tied up in this. For example, uh, like we talked about in another No Judgments episode, um, P.O.D. was one of the bands yeah. that actually released an album on 9-11, right? Yeah, so that's an interesting one because this is sort of more of like a what did the listener do with this song rather mm-hmm. than, obviously, boom, on the memorandum list, right? Here comes the boom. Oh, yeah. I mean, wow. it says boom. Do it. But their song Alive, which was like the second or third single from that album, big success. Really? Because it helped everybody feel alive. Oh, for the very yeah. first time. For the excited, yes. And I you can't oh, deny it. I would love, yes, POD's version of that would be incredible. Yeah. Um, but then there was other stuff, you know, like these Jimmy Eat World, you know, you probably remember their album Bleed American. Um, but from 2001 to 2008, it was actually just known as Jimmy Eat World. Uh, they put the album out in July, and then after 9-11, they were like, oh, they literally were just like, we worked like way too fucking hard on this album for people to stop listening to it. Like, that's 100% the reason we're doing this. Like, we're changing it. So they made, you know, the album track uh, was just a self-titled, and then the song itself was turned to uh, Salt, Sweat, Sugar. Not mm. a bad title, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's uh, from the chorus. Yeah. Salt, sweat, sugar, honey, wasn't actually the only band that released an album on 9-11. There were a bunch that came out. Oh, yeah, a bunch actually dropped. It was a Tuesday, which is a record story, so like a lot came out. A clear blue Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> it was that that's a miracle uh, yeah. musical a friend of mine was in oh, about yeah. 9-11. Oh, shut the yeah. fuck up. Are you kidding me? Oh boy, it is yeah. I went to the premiere when I lived in New York, or whatever, and it was just like, okay, good for you for being in a thing. I love right New York. On. So other examples of how we sort of like the fuck out in the immediate aftermath of 9-11 is uh, like uh, in all, like movies and TV like so original Spider-Man movie I, you I worked at the movie theater yeah. oh my god wow, yeah. the fact that you guys know my life so oh, well of course I was excited to hear about that actually <laughs> you're the best 
Yes. Because your report on Lord of the Rings was so good. I was like, I wonder what 9-11 did if Lord of the Rings shook up the theater that much. Yeah. Like, wow. So were you there to actually see the editing of yes. the Spider-Man film? I saw, I saw the first movie. I saw the there you know for the that? screening and everything. Oh. I watched it at the end of it. He like fucked up the flies by and he's the web between the two towers mm-hmm. wherever he lands on it. It's like, cool. Over. 9-11 happens. All of a sudden he's landing at the top of the Empire State Building or whatever but just itself. Like, yeah. yeah, so like that, they took the footage of the Twin Towers, of the Sopranos. Of uh, actually, a scene in the Disney movie Lilo and Stitch. I was gonna say, gonna yeah, because that was where I was at yeah. at this time. I love Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lilo and Stitch. they were gonna, they, uh, and then when they have that big alien ship comes yeah, in yeah. at the end, it's supposed to be Stitch, like fucking like hijacking a Boeing jet, <laughs> like super uh, fucking tight. Yeah, through, through uh, fucking downtown you know Stitch is a communist. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. Fucking rules. Yeah, but uh, Lilo and Stitch. Uh, <laughs> those aliens were. Russian. How else do you explain <laughs> that? Come on. Fucking I mean, awesome. honestly, his yeah. voice was Eastern European. Yeah, so he basically had this two-year period <laughs> where everybody was scared to, like, even, like, say the word. Or to show these things was conceivable. Like, that stayed until about, like, 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, Tell us what Well, so it's it's interesting, Brad. I think the one that you might be thinking of actually came out in 2005. Ah, fuck. But I will sneak in really quickly that... Yeah, I'm just uh, going to edit this. Uh, our friend... <laughs> I'm just going to cut... I edit the shit now, so I'm just going to cut this out so it looks like I never made a mistake. Oh, uh, well, that's fine. Wow. I mean, that... You would be robbing everybody of Madonna's worst fucking moment, oh, yeah. which is American Life. It came out in 2003. Absolutely bizarre. Uh, listeners, if, you've, if you're not familiar with it, like, do yourself a favor. Go on to YouTube right now and watch the music video. It's her basically dressed up as like a like a faux like leftist revolutionary, right? And like the original video for the song had this like Is it the Yoga and Pilates song? Yeah, when she does the rap. No. Yes! Yes! The yoga and Pilates and the thing and the thing and I'm like Madonna. Yeah. I'm like a double soy latte Nobody. and Pilates. Yes. It's insane! Drinking a soy latte, I get a double shot. It goes with my body, and you know I'm satisfied. I drop my mini keeper, and I'm feeling super duper. You, they tell me I'm a trooper, and you know I'm satisfied. I do yoga and Pilates, and the room is full of hotties. So I'm checking out the bodies, and you know I'm satisfied. I'm digging on the isotope to smell the physics. Shit is dope, and if all this can give me hope, you know I'm satisfied. I got a lawyer, and a manager, an agent, and a chef. She's like trying to pull out this like like oh talking about the American dream thing, but it's like Madonna like nobody's American dream is is what are you talking about wow. like and it's so and the imagery is like so mixed up and apparently like um it had like uh, an earlier version which with a much clearer anti-American <laughs> sort of message and then they edited it down to just like literally be her face fucking like doing her rap about lattes in front of like all these different world flags Jesus. absolutely Jesus. absurd Madonna was I like, mean that they were all and we a bunch of them that. already mentioned like. Bruce like did some lame shit. Paul yeah. McCartney put out this song called Freedom that is like yeah. absolutely true. There was also like several uh charity comments. Oh my uh, god. Where like they just raise money for I don't know right. what the fuck. Yeah, I, guess, what? I guess like victims of, of 9-11 or something. Red some Cross. Shit like that. Yeah, Red Cross. Remember that um where everybody collaborated on that awful cover of what's going on? What's going on? Yeah, which was originally like about eight, right? Yeah. Marvin Gaye had the series of the Ah. 
Look what they did, boy. Oh my god. Sure, I guess. I don't know. I'm not Italian either, Jim. I have no idea. Thank you. Look how they massacred my boy. No? No. Nah, no, I've seen it. I don't know. I've I'm leaving it in. All right? I only remember, like, <laughs> Bofongu. Like, anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm so fucking offended right now. Anti-Italian discrimination. But in 2004... <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it the Italian anti-defamation league. <laughs> see what's happening. <laughs> in 2004, uh, we were gifted as American Idiot. And then it was in September of 2004, timely to, of course, be in the same month as the tragedy, mm -hmm. but also only, what, six weeks before the fucking 2004 election? Yep. So I have probably a way different experience with this album than you guys. Yeah, because so, well, you were like, what? Uh, fucking 10. <laughs> and uh, I had glasses and, like, no middle teeth, and it was, like, trying to be into, like, rock music. Yeah, oh. so I, my memory, I was in high school, this came out. I was almost a senior, and uh, actually a pretty intense thing at my high school as to whether or not American Idiot was acceptable to play at at our homecoming dance. Oh, yes. That debate amongst oh, the, students the administrators. And the faculty. Topical. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, it was it. And, and this is like a, this is another point. So like one of the ways that uh, American culture hegemony sort of moved to curtail the resurgence of like a counterculture or an anti-war movement reflected in popular music was to sort of uh, like delegate these things to the field of culture war. Because on one hand, which we'll get into, you had country music very much just like... In the ass. Yeah, booting the ass. And then you had, you know, little guys like Joel <laughs> just ready to speak out. America. If you actually pay attention to the lyrics, he is he's yelling at Iowa State people. You know, like yes. like red states. That's, he's mad at them. He sees Bush as an incarnation of and not necessarily just a U.S. Well, you're going to have to put a sample of saying is that uh like even though green day like sort of like marked this return to like a critical element in music um like the content of the lyrics his analysis it still sucked <laughs> i hear there's a there's a for a new weed inspire oh, considering that everything that's great. going on yeah dude oh, i would God. love that i want to i volunteer to co-write it i think uh <laughs> i think you might be making the classic billy joel versus billy joe armstrong thing I often call yeah, them Billy, Billy Joel. Joel. Well, because, because it's fun to like a mega power English <laughs> yeah. version of them that's yeah. Billy Joel Armstrong, yeah. who just sings "We Didn't Start the Fire" but wears like a red tie and also yeah. loves to masturbate. <laughs> like I, didn't, I wasn't sure how he got there. I was just like, oh, you were just carried yeah. away because you love Billy Joel, dude. Buddy, apparently I apparently I spaced off. We're, we're in this fucking interview right now. <laughs> I'm sick of this fucking anti-Italian discrimination. It's anti-Italian discrimination. Don't play it like that. Hey, I, I, well, I love Dean Martin. I don't know, do I? I just keep going, man. Digging himself a hole. Oh, we did actually just cover uh, Johnette Napolitano in our last episode. We were judging too. Whatever. Let's keep talking about Green Day because this is what is important. Jerome, do you remember the Green Day album? 
I knew it was out. I knew that uh, the kid oh in my, my school, God. Jared, was super into it. I was still uh, <laughs> syncopating my techno entrances to pull the high school parking lot. Oh uh, that's God. how I was spending that time period. So I didn't uh, too cued in on American Idiot. I was just like, you happy hardcore is going to blow everybody's mind and nobody likes it. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. Trump. Yeah. I'm so bummed out we didn't go to high school. <laughs> that is too rad. That sound like that's an like the coolest experience. thing ever. So other other sort of like uh, rack war, I guess you would say, bands uh, that emerged that kind of Idolize the angle, right? System of a down, right? Of course. Toxicity was like huge. Uh, Toxicity is another one that came out on 9 11. Is it? Yeah, it is. Wow. Yeah, and then that. it was the follow up album that came out after that had like BYOB on it. Oh, that right. Was like What's the one with, what was the one with Chop Suey on? Uh, that was Toxicity. Okay. Wasn't well, sure. there a war? Wasn't there an album before the I don't know. The one with the hand it. on it? There's a hand for sure, but yeah. I, I know nothing of its what content. What were they singing a Was it nonsense music? Because that's what I interpreted it as. Uh, no. Did they have like lyrics and yeah. content? I mean, they had lyrics. I mean, if I remember like uh, lyrics that I can, I guess. Like, I'm pretty sure it was commentary about like empty, emptiness of life. You know, exactly. Like, the, the wake up. Oh, when eating I mean, seeds like, as a pastime activity. They're like Armenian American too, and they would like yeah. sometimes reference just like growing oh, up. Yeah. That's like a super interesting like diaspora community that's very unlike anything else in the United States. Yeah. I mean, they were all, they were, for a very long time, uh, even on that album, they had a song called War that was, like, super critical of the first Gulf War. Um, really? so, you know, we'll fight the heathens, we'll bring it. We will fight the heathens! 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 And that was like the vibe of BYOB. Like it's like just specifically like it's not directly saying like you know Operation Iraqi Freedom or Afghanistan or whatever, but it's just like why do we always send the poors? Like yeah, the they yeah, keep saying over yeah. and over again. Wow. Yeah, I mean that, yeah. That, that's you know that's and like the party in the desert. Yeah, you know imagery yeah. of the fucking verses. Yeah. God, that <laughs> shit's so good. <laughs> oh, we gotta listen to that song yeah. after we'll, this. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll have a little jam. It's gonna be a clip heavy it. episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have a lot of edit. Fuck. All right, so another band, Radiohead. There was actually a. Any of you guys remember Chuck Westerman? <laughs> of course, Sex, Drugs, like, and Cocoa Pops. Yeah, yeah, that. You remember? Yeah, that? you remember that guy's? Like, I read that book in jail. Shout out, Chuck. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, he he actually wrote an article uh, talking about how K uh, 9/11 or something like that. And, like, and of course, like hail to the thief. Uh, you know, Chris Lewis, like failed as it was. Sure. I don't, I don't like. Uh, <laughs> I'm not crazy wow. about that. We can agree there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess I'm the only uh, Radiohead fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a tasteful guy here, you know. Yeah. 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 You guys didn't get best while, while while listening to like uh, pack like sardines in a can and shit like that. <laughs> this, was, this was a great time in nineteen eight. Dude, all right, your, your life had such a beautiful score to it. You know, everything did. honestly. Yes, that is the best way to describe how my life reached the score I did. Absolutely, you move like that through the world. I see that. Yeah. So, so you know, as these bands were, right? They were sort of like uh, anomalies in the music. We're writing the coattails of an already previous. You know, right. had already, already legends since Green Day. Dude, they already had their class. Uh, like system. Of down got in there right at the book. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> Truly. You know, yeah. But, but what, Shit dropped at 8 a.m. Yeah, exactly. So what we were seeing emerge as like the new music of this time was this like super generic, uh, ultra bland, like mall pop music. Mm. Uh, that Roman. Like the new radicals type stuff. <laughs> no, new radicals came uh, to us in the 90s still. They are just in a mall in that video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh that's actually God. like, wow. no, no. See, because that's like an actually just beautiful song. You, I can't even go off into yeah. like the, how cool that shit is. But I think. This band's like the fray. Yes. You're, okay. you're, you're, a very cold play, sure. very sanitized. Your Travis. Yeah. Why does it always rain on me? Is it because I lied when I was seventeen? Oh shit! You love that. 
<laughs> your Garden State soundtrack. Oh no! Yeah. Just this Come really non-offensive, no. really soft and palatable. You the you shins. play it as the background music when you're shopping, and no one's gonna get offended. Yeah. Like the uh, trend in the music industry, right? Because they're in crisis mode because of uh, you know the fucking move to right, and they can't. So they're afraid to sort of like go out and look for new things. Right. Like one of the, one of the last hot newts in music history in America was The Strokes. And Get out! Again, they got in. Yeah. They got in at Buzzer too, wow. and consequently had to take one of them's their New York City Cops, baby. Yeah, they had to drop it after 9/11 because it, it criticized New York City Cops. And apparently, their album art was supposed to be different too. Yeah, it was like a hand, like mm-hmm. a velvet or a leather glove hand with a pair of ass, and then they came some weird stained glass. Damn. Yeah. So, I remember being in Urban Outfitters in DC and hearing a stroke like, "What is this? Right. I oh, need yeah. to know everything oh, yeah, about this sound." Like, Dude, the coolest. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. The coolest dude. And here's, here's my hot take. The Strokes saved us all dressing like assholes. Uh, I'm, they were all fashion industry brats. Like, they brought back, like, the like tight skinny like, jeans. The tight jeans, skinny jeans. Mm-hmm. And, like, if we weren't like for bandanas, them, we'd still all be wearing fluorescent colored shorts hey, with, like, hey. one overall strap on hooks. Hey, uh, I mean, we it's are. coming back now, but, like, <laughs> they saved us from it for a while. I like, I'm so low key on my juggalo shit, too. You guys don't know, you guys always see me a phone. Yeah. Yeah. So, right, so we get to like 2004, which is like a really low point for the music industry in terms of sales. And basically, in order to stay afloat, uh, the talent scouts of record industries are basically for works only. So, strokes are popular. We're on a bunch of different bands that sound like Fransford now. The Vines. Yep. Kings of Leon. Mm-hmm. On and on and on. Coldplay's working. We're gonna fucking find like <laughs> 16 other bands that sound like Coldplay. 8,000 The Phrase. Yep. And then we're just gonna fucking ben pump, fucking pump that ben on, on our monopolized clear channel radio stations so you're hearing it at all times. You know, a common theme in this podcast is cultural hegemony. This is literally how this shit works. The record industries of the channel corporation that owned the media station, like, they decide what we were going to listen to. Like, yeah. They were the ones who shaped our like cultural landscape. So so let's... So even the people who are just like, yo, fuck pop music. I listen to like alternative, the real shit. Like even those radio stations were like in a way censoring what was happening. Yeah, sort of like, you know, censoring by default because like Clear Channel owned all of the radio stations in like any given major metropolitan area. They set this playlist. So if so they have a specific like song list that they're going to put out, tw- it's like as low as like under 32 songs. Yeah. That's <laughs> the, yeah. Yeah. When they, when they want like, something to sell, want yeah. to fucking sell. And, oh, and shit. you heard it multiple times a day. Yeah. It's insufferable. But yeah, it, while there were still, you know, like, uh, I guess you say, like, the counterculture still represented pretty much pushed down the, the furthest underground it could. Right. Uh, and so that. Well, I think it's interesting while we're having this moment, yeah, yeah. too, where it's like, you talk about, like, cultural hegemony, like, they're deciding what our mood is as a country. Exactly. Right? They're, like, in a mission to make us despondent. Exactly. Like, think about fucking. And, and it's like, and it's as intentional as, like, by 2006. We're hearing shit like fucking John Mayer waiting on the world to change. Yeah, yeah. So we keep waiting, waiting, waiting on the world to change. I mean that what? shit. That whole shit, I think, is is like pushing this angle. Like, uh, like man, man, like I think real political change is just possible. Yes. Like you just, ha- you're, you're. It's completely fatalistic. You just, ha- you have to resign yourself to life. Just hope for the best. 
which is like sucks. Was this like trying to make a generation of stoic? A generation of people who just felt powerless, yes. like uh, unable to change the course of direction. In the- it was like some cool monk avatar shit, but I think it's more but, like no, you can't change anything. But really, that's like to do. That was sort of like to, to cater to like the people who were already critical, who were already kind of you know, like for most people, everyone was just back to having a good time. Yeah. Like, that's like the band shit came back. Reason, uh, you know, your your Peter Aguilera. Everything was everything dude, was sex and, and a good time. Fucking like Eminem, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Without me, like fucking. Wait, like, maybe maybe you guys have uh, something in here about this. What, how do you explain is that shit? Uh, pain, don't give a torture. fuck about emo. It was no, torture yeah, for me. I know that it existed, but it, no one cared. Uh, no one cared. Uh, Everyone around me was fucking like ironing their wait, hair wait, and wait, wearing wait. like uh, low rise jeans. What and are you shit. talking about here? Like my chemical romances, like, oh, all that kind wait. of like the Brian's like Sunny Day Real Estate. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm going a little further back and like thinking of that shit. But like, no, you're right. Yeah, but okay. even still, no, but yeah, I mean, it's still important to consider yeah. though, right? Because it's still in that same thing of like powerless, right? Like it's a turn towards like individualism, yeah. which like discourages collective action. Yeah, right? and if you think about my, oh, I'm sounding romance. too much like Brian. I, I what was that? What? But like, my chemical romance was also kind of really also like in the, if you remember some of their song content, really just about. Uh, Helpless. They did actually write a 9/11 song though. Oh, was there I don't remember. I should have fucking written it down. <laughs> but I watched. I watched a YouTube video that was discussing this kind of stuff. It's yeah, like the Lindsay Ellis right, video. Right, yeah. But, but you think about their big hit singles like Helena. And oh I'm, yeah. I'm not okay. I'm not The Black Parade, mental oh, decay. They're even throwing a party, dude. And the Black Parade is like an event yeah. they created, yeah, yeah, like yeah. to like to hang out and be like, yeah. So needless to say, they weren't that pop. So like, yeah. well, it, it sort of like created a like a window for people to sort of like indulge their depression and, and like their nihilism and their sort of anxieties going on. It offered no solutions. It was it was um, a precursor to Soy Boys. And yes. yes. All I saw, all I saw yes. about emo music was the thing that like typical me who doesn't get depressed and all this kind of stuff, and I'm like. You are all choosing to be in this state. Yep. You don't want to be happy. You like it. So, like, you can have this shit music on it. Because yep. nothing about it is telling me to have, like, a good time or enjoy life. Be sad. Wallow in that sadness. Nothing's ever going to change. You're the worst. Abuse substances. Yes. yes. Like, be really fucking misogynistic. Like, a lot of yes. people don't recognize that shit. But the band's, like, Taking Back Sunday. terrible. Brand Band new. fucking new. <sighs> Like horrible misogynist. Yeah. Like, some of the most toxic that beta boy scene. shit. Like, oh my god. Yeah. Even going back as like all American rejects and shit, those guys are apparently like Tyson Rudder is like a notorious, like total fucking evil. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, There's just terrible kind of, motherfuckers. All kinds of out with those guys. Okay. So, all right. So now that we've discussed, like, um, I guess for lack of a better term, the pussification of rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about what the badasses were doing. Let's talk about what the, what the real Americans were doing. In this country. Uh, in this country. <laughs> These colors don't run. These colors don't oh, run. Oh, man. So, like, yeah, we're, let, let's, let's talk about fucking music in the immediate aftermath of... of uh, and it, All right. And let's talk about music for shit. Dude, Ooh, do we have any country music like, fans in the room? Yo. Pre-1980? Yeah. yeah. I wasn't down with the whole urban cowboy shit. I mean, I'm a, I'm a low-key, like, kid rock guy, even though I know he's fucking awful. Like, I can... No, well, I mean, you said urban cowboy. Right? Oh, no. I was not saying urban cowboy. You, probably, you weren't born yet, but I mean people like Garth Brooks. Oh, word. Yeah, I, I like, know about that shit, but no, I, I always Is think... Is that what we called Garth Brooks? An mm-hmm. urban cowboy? Urban cowboy, How baby. Was just, like, that made him an urban cowboy. He's just... He's in the suburbs. Like, he wasn't he wasn't out in the fucking sticks nowhere. Like, Do they think that the suburbs are urban in comparison to the sticks? 
Yeah, so then, so then, like, Achy Breaky Heart Man was also Urban Cowboy. Okay, okay. And there was his dad. There was a sort of like tonal shift in country too with the Urban Cowboy scene that made it more towards the center. It sounded more like just pop rock in general. Need to be sexier. Yeah, but like prior to that shit, prior to that shit, like you know, you had Johnny Cash, like Waylon Jennings. Yeah. More like rooted in the blues, blues, and like old American. Absolutely. All in with a completely different politics too, right? Like Johnny Cash, like, you know, fucking keeping it super real, doing, like, yeah. the prison circuit, yeah. and Nelson uh, and Merle Haggard, right? Like, a bunch of, like, class-conscious music, they you know? it outlaw country, baby. Yeah. You don't get that name for no reason. We don't even talk about outlaws anymore, wow. you know? You know? We could do, like, a Western thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think outlaws are, are probably uh, libertarians themselves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do they? Oh, man, they co-opted the outlaw. Actually, I'm going to say the libertarian is the dialectical response to cowboy. Whoa. Yeah, it's taking that like the fringe vibe from outlaw country and mixing it with like being like uh, socially affluent white male. Well, and boom. Well, that's honestly a perfect transition to what exactly yeah. happened after yeah. 9/11. Yeah. So wow. let's get to that point. So like, okay, immediately after we see a sort of sentimental thing going on. Oh. Uh, there's a big resurfacing. Uh, before we get any original music, everyone cuts back to Lee Greenwood's "God Bless the USA" from 1984. Wow. No. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life, and I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today, cause the flag still stands for freedom, and they can't take that away. American, where at least I know I'm free, and I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I'd gladly stand up next to you and defend her today. Okay, how many, like, public dance numbers did you guys see to this song? I saw at least three. The not? North Pittsburgh River Town. <laughs> I was not paying attention. Dude, no. I, I, I don't know how much shit. you know about yeah. like Shaler Township. It's oh, like the most things. like yeah, absolutely. But anyway, <laughs> this shit was everywhere, friends. And again, I was at a slightly different age than Brian and Jerome. In my elementary school, man, people fucking loved this shit in our wow. area. So that song is like very adamantly, you know, like all about just like family and, and like it's even like common perspective of like if tomorrow all the things were gone, I worked for all my life, right? right? So right. it's almost like preemptively sort of really getting into this and like the mentality what people were like really interesting in, in, in like capturing here, right? Because it was such an emotional, deep, deep response. And so like they wanted to tap into people's like sadness to create anger, to create money, dude. When I uh, stumble upon what manipulation looks like, I'm like, you're so blatant. I don't like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk uh, Toby okay. because he's sort of the best representation. I mean, we've been, we've already referenced several. Like this dude, I mean, this dude was a dick. <laughs> But so American dick. You might have thought that Brian and I just cleverly made up the red, white, and blue boot up your ass thing. <laughs> Toby Keith put out a song <laughs> in 2002, courtesy of the red, white, and blue in parentheses. Now this nation that I love is falling under attack. A mighty sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back. Soon as we could see clearly through our big black eye. Man, we lit up your world like the 4th of July. Hey, Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of his list. 
So originally Toby wanted this something that he like played live. He was like, you know, really just trying to connect. This is for the fans. Well, and interestingly, he said, you know, for for what it's worth, we should, I guess, I get, we don't have, but he said that this was a one in one respect about his dad who had passed away. Uh, was a veteran and taught him about freedom and love in mm. his country. Mm. Um, but it was also about like attacking Afghanistan. Like he was very open about that. Yeah. But he said that it had nothing to do with Operation Iraqi Freedom, which <laughs> all right, dude. But Whatever. he initially had planned to not record this song, but uh, people like word got out about it. Like someone recorded a live performance and shit. And um, the reaction was so strong. The commandant of the Marine Corps at this time, this dude James L. Jones, not James Earl Jones, mm. James L. Jones, old Keith. It was his duty as an American citizen to record the song and had to live it was his job as an entertainer to lift the morale of the troops if you want to serve what you can do Holy cannot shit. call out a country boy on whether or not he is like American bro yeah. he's gonna record that fucking song <laughs> I mean he's gonna beat the shit out of his local sister proof. yeah oh. Oof. <laughs> oh no and that shit I mean that shit did happen man they're gone in New Jersey all and... over the fucking place and the, oh, and right. the thing is these, right. these fucking racist dumbasses like don't know the difference between a Sikh so it's like if right. you just look for and wearing a turban at times. Oh, like yeah. some Toby Keith like boot stomping motherfucker could just kick the shit out of you for no reason. Can you imagine if somebody made like an Asian right for now? For real. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. are you yeah. fucking kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. But that shit flew back then because it was collectively just like, no, we're all scared, so yep. fine to be scared and angry. Yep. yep. Oh, and that was pretty much the tooth of like most music at that time. Well, so, oh, go ahead. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was either just like angry American or it was the, the Jacksons. We're contemplating introspective. Sentimentals. What does it mean Alan, to be an American? Alan Jackson was actually the first one that came out after 9-11. He dropped that shit in November, but Damn. he immediately came in and heard, he was on his morning walk, and then he came back in. Is this <laughs> real? Is this yeah, real story? Dude, yeah, of course. <laughs> this is what we, yeah. I uh, fucking hate this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Jackson was on his morning walk and came back in and heard about it on the radio, and he immediately knew he wanted to write a song. So it took him a long time, but then one day in October, he wakes up and has the first verse of the song written and like the melody, and he goes in and records it. And that's when Alan Jackson's is Where Were You When the World Stopped? Where were you when the world stopped turning On that September day Were you in the yard With your wife and children Or working on some stage in L.A. Did you stand there in shock At the sight of that black smoke Rising against that blue sky So, that mad vibe And it talks more about, like, God And, like, he literally has a lyric that is Uh I watch CNN, but I'm not sure I can tell you the difference in Iraq and Iran. But I know Jesus, and I talk to oh, God. Holy and I remember God. that from this when I was young, 
Faith, hope, and love are some good things he no. gave us. No. So that's you a vibe. You cannot actively it's your ignorance in a song. I, in this moment where I could take the time to learn, I just don't know. I know right. the difference between these two things. That is, is what it is, bud. Well, right. he didn't have much time after his morning walk, Jerome. He had to get <laughs> oh to business. <laughs> so, like, again, this is the country music for near, nearly a fucking decade, right? Yeah. So, again, think dialectically. It's good. Let's do. It's easy to understand how people listening to this shit for 10 years, you end up with the MAGA base. There's a direct oh. correlation with that. You yeah. know what I mean? Nothing could be clearer. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. 100%. If Toby Keith was at his peak, like when Trump announced his presidency, he'd be kicking off the campaign song. He probably did. I don't even know he the probably did. on that shit. Yeah, like, dude, and all these fucking assholes who came out with these fucking hyper, hyper, hyper imperialist fucking, uh, like, let's bomb the shit out of every fucking, like, brown country in the world. Like, you know who America really is. Like, that set with uh, established, uh, like, po a political landscape. Right, that political landscape had repercussions with the election. And think about like the way it was broadcasted to us. It was like it was such a lifestyle, yep. right? Like it was something that infiltrated every single thing of your. Bro, home. you you were in your Hummer. You're, you were drinking. <laughs> was I? You were drinking your Bud Lights. <laughs> wow. Going to watch some football. Catch that that uh, U.S. Army propaganda before the fucking halftime show. Fucking shit. And then later you turn on your favorite Marvel movie. Mm -hmm. That's like episode three, yeah, right, we, guys? Yeah, we yeah, moved yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's when we start talking about Barry O. You know, yeah, and that, baby. And that fucking that fucking shape. Oh my god. I gotta tell you, to think back on history, it makes me bad how complacent but continue. <laughs> I'm singing about this stuff and I'm like, you know, my best friend um, at the time was reading all the Michael Moores yeah. and reading all that shit and just like, yeah, 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 buddy. Uh, check out this song that talks about ecstasy and mushrooms. Hey, like, that's, that's where I'll be. Like, like, Chemical like, Brothers? You know, like, yeah. like Poison said, nothing but a good time. Hey, that's Butler PA, baby. Brett Michaels. <laughs> right. So I don't want to paint this picture that like the entire uh, spectrum of country music was just divided between the Toby Keith types and the uh, the Alan Jackson types. You know, there were there were also there was also another side to this. There were the martyrs. <laughs> <laughs> and one, there's one famous example of this shit is uh, the the chicks. Good the friends former, the chicks. There's a good friends the chicks, formerly the Dixie Chicks. I don't know if they really are good friends, but I will say that song Cowboy Take Me Away is a bop. I liked uh, When Earl Had to Die. I thought that one was pretty good. Yeah. Good, yeah. Dixie Chicks, Jerome? Or the chicks? I mean, uh, I'm sure I do. <laughs> I know they're you good people. Do or you don't. No, I definitely do. I just can't name their song at the moment. Whatever goes on the radio, I, was, I fuck with. They, they had a real popular cover of Landslide and stuff. That's anyway. the one. That's yeah, the one. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So it's interesting to note that the uh, the well, okay. So they're now called the Chicks. Uh, they changed their name um, last summer, actually. Uh, trying to move away from the Dixie vibe, uh, and they nice. actually after all the antebellum uh, shit with Lady Antebellum. Even this was pre. Only well, the Dixie's for a while. Ah, like, since 1989. Yeah. But they, they uh, career suicide in 2003. March 10th, 2003. At the, at the Grammys, no less. Right? Uh, no, it was in London. It was at uh, the Shepherd's Bush Empire Theater in lovely, lovely oh, Shepherd's Bush, London. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just a show, and they um, they were about to play their song "Traveling Soldier," the most popular single at the time, which was actually a Vietnam era song or like written about the Vietnam era that yeah. they adopted but they said to the crowd just so you know we're good side with y'all we do not want this war it's violence and we're ashamed that the president of the United States is from Texas and this was the, just so you know just another weird coincidence 
And another weird coincidence, this was the same day that the last of like the Sad Boy Country 9-11 songs came oh. out. Have You Forgotten by Daryl Worley oh. was released on the same day, March 10th, Yo, 2003. They were already accusing people of forgetting as early as 2003. <laughs> I like, can you actually Yo. believe that they actually wrote a song called Have You Forgotten? That's clearly to make money. You know that I'm a cynical That's like, uh, do, you, do they know it's Christmas? Yeah! <laughs> like, oh, this my. motherfucker Dude. was sitting in a booth and he was like, you know what? They, ha- they haven't heard of Do You Remember 9-11 in a while. I'm gonna drop this one. But, That's actually legitimately true because hey! that whole fucking album that was on was yeah. a bunch of songs from other releases before that. It was basically a compilation album. And that was his one new track for it? Tell me about it, cuz. <laughs> Jesus. Wait, so is the chick... Well, I don't know if they're a girl again, you know, but the chicks... Yeah. They're, they're not endorsements. Yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, but, you know, you can only imagine that uh, Toby Keith really did not take to this, and neither did the rest of the country world. Yes. The chicks, and, okay, the chicks were not just country popular. Yeah. They were the number one selling all-female artist group yeah. of all time at this point. Jeez. Putting them in front of fucking TLC. I wish, in front of I Destiny's w- Child? In the Spice Girls. Oh, my God. I wish you guys could see the enthusiasm in which Roman just relayed that. <laughs> Dude, because it's crazy. This is, this is what, this is what I'm like on my podcast. The tiger's finally out of the cage, all right? I'm like... If you like this enthusiasm, then I say go to your podcasting right now the No Judgment Zone and hit subscribe. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, Jerome. You know, just come hang out with me, Jerome. Get away from the thing so we don't mouse crap. The chicks are massively popular, like more popular than any, you know, female country artist and honestly more in the mainstream than pretty much country artist has mm-hmm. been up until this point, right? Um, and I mean, fucking public just smashes all their cities. They literally destroyed their career. We're going to boycott them for their music and we're going to boycott you for playing it if you don't stop playing it. Well, ma'am, that was the last one you're going to hear. Hundreds of stations simply stopped playing the songs they had celebrated over and over again hours before. I love their songs, but I don't agree with what they did. Thank y'all for pulling the Dixie Chicks, and I think we should be just as embarrassed for them. There ain't no way, there ain't no way the Chicks are country. They've showed their true colors. USA! Freedom! Yeah, I remember this was, this was one of their uh, famous reoccurring incidents in American history where they steamroll a bunch of shit. <laughs> like, they, you know, they did yeah. it to the Beatles, they did it to, like, uh, some other fucking shit. Who back gets in the, the steamroller in these moments? I don't know. Who does provide the steamroller to do these things? Fucking actually, it's like, on board with it. I don't know. I don't Somebody know. steal it. Just like, you know what? I'll probably find this, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's what, here's what, uh, what I perceive as the last little twist in the saga of the Dixies, oh. right? And you can tell me if you agree with this one. Okay. So in like the immediate aftermath of this sort of like excommunication of the Dixie Chicks, right? Like there was, uh, you know, the industry wasn't going to drop a hot product altogether. So uh, this is my theory. The Dixie Chicks were one of the first bands that they went out there to sort of like beta test blue country. You know, like blue country. Yeah, like country, country for liberals. Oh, right. Oh, so Taylor Swift. Yeah, Taylor Swift. Your Lady Antebellum, which we mentioned earlier in the episode, and like you know, all all that other kind of like twangy, uh, like folksy sounding stuff that was for people who you know just didn't want to bomb the shit out of half the world. I think uh, I'm just interjecting or whatever, but I feel around this time was when uh when I also like heard about grass, like the yeah, grass. yeah, and, and that's the sort of like tutored, really saying much, but sort of deepish. Short side of the country music genre, and it's like rooted in history. And, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and then what do we have within three years? Fucking Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Boom, fucking Mumford and Sons, dude. But it was not your fault, but mine. And it was your heart on the line. I really fucked it up this time. 
Me, yeah, those dudes a, are fucking speaks, hot. This, so I get it. It speaks to that fucking pattern I was talking about. How rap music industry people only look for the shits. They yeah. only look for the stuff that generates. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people that you know, like culture's gotten really. St- so, like jumping ahead a little bit, but like in 2011, when the Occupy movement was kind of like at its height in Zuccotti Park in New York City, one of the most frequent attendants of sort of like the General Assembly and just like you know the nighttime down at the camp was Russell Simmons, like the CEO of Jeff Def Jam Entertainment. And the reason he was going down there was because he himself had observed this sort of like decline to a point of near absence in critical content within popular music and hip hop especially. And he was going down to this sort of like this sort of like uh, you know grassroots. Yeah, this grassroots like like sparking point of like uh, collective action and like counterculture and like you know protest looking for it essentially. Do you have any hip hop heads in the crowd? I know it's not true. It's, it's, it's not you. Either. No, it's not. I like. I have stuff I like for sure, but I'm right. like, you know. Well, maybe we'll let her. We'll you know. Get Let's see what we got here. Let's see what we got here. What kind of hip hop do you like? Yeah, if you like it, you know. I mean, you know, like like old school stuff. Like I like tribe. For, yeah, that's what everybody says. You know, I mean, obviously, <laughs> um, I definitely like like I do have like most F. You know, for sure. Yeah. Honestly, fucking love Outcast. Like oh, really, Outcast. really, really love Outcast. Outcast um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Enough is a bit. Is there. Right, and, and and you know what a lot of people call like the golden age, of right. in particular the late night. And there were mixed, you know, mixed up in it. And we'll get to this maybe a little bit later. Uh, but like up in like sort of like the you know, gangster rap and like you know just like street life kind of. So like you know, music, uh, hip hop, and most deaf. Uh, like totally. Yeah. Yeah. Ski, Skilo. Yes. Skilo. I How could we be remiss if we didn't mention Skilo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah, but there, but there, and even even early Kanye West. Oh like, yeah. Uh, who kind that, of represent and Common, of course, too. Sure. All these were MCs who sort of represented what they call conscious. Right. And they had had a high high watermark in 1999 to like mm-hmm. 2000, uh, where they were sort of like kicking the door into the mainstream and getting there. Right. Like, like sound now is some of the best lyricists oh, that yeah. exist. Back like, rappers. Back hip-hop, rappers. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly, right. Like, that was the current that, like, almost there. And then 9 11 happened. And immediately, you know, this music that had critical things to say about the US government. Like, getting, you know, critical analysis that begins with the reality and, like, fall back through history. Like, this is fucking country, right? Like, you don't have you don't have hip hop without criticism. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. exactly. It's one of the, like, the. And things, it's yeah, whatever, it's one yeah. of the natures <laughs> of the game, right? Like, it, it, it speaks to that experience. And, uh, you know, they shut it down. Because one, like we've discussed critical music of any kind was sort of like better. But even as like, and they started letting the whites do it, and was an idiot, that stuff still didn't get back to mainstream hip for like a very long time. Um, there's a band that's my favorite uh, that exists in that point called Little Brother. I don't know if you get it. Little Brother is a peace group from North Carolina. And they call themselves Little Brother because they consider themselves the like successors to bands like Pitbull Planets and like Publishes. Like, and they had an album where they, they not, uh, that people did not want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Like they were not interested, mm-hmm. and that all they cared about was uh, snap music and and, and that speaks to a historical development in the music industry. When in response to playing and the popularity of the media, they recognized that people were spending a lot of things who cool for their phone, which was a, a kind of a new thing. Mm. So <laughs> someone bring back tones. yeah, oh, no, shit. someone figured out that he takes songs 
and turn them into ringtones. And that people probably want to buy it and have their face ding, song ding, 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 as a ringtone. You knew your parents loved you if you had a ring back. Oh, good yes, God. God. On your and, Jesus. Like, that's serious commitment. So the record industry sort of zeroed in on this one, uh, like, hip-hop subgenre coming out of the South called snap music. Uh, because they realized that, like, these songs were, were like, hook-driven, uh, really catchy, super bouncy, and they would translate really well into ringtones. So they would seek these artists out, uh, kind of, like, pay them, buy them all on their one-hit song, uh, and then turn that into ringtones that they owned and then drop them. Where are the Laffy Taffy? D4L. Big Rich putting the Or perhaps Chingy. I like the way you do that right there. Right there. Tell what happened to Soldier Boy. Like, this shit was as exploitative as it fit. Like, not only exploiting these people's song and then dropping them without any sort of like insurance, without any sort of like complaint or development or anything like that. They're just doing for one quick hit, as much money as possible, and then leaving these men uh, to pay for themselves after giving them like ridiculous advance tracks, uh, and then no no swing come after because yeah. not they, they saw that it was inevitable that these people would fail. Just like, here's a yeah. bunch of money, we'll make way more money off of them, uh -huh. and then whatever happens after that, good luck with you. So ringtone ringtone rap and ringtone sales peak uh, in 2007, where it accounted eight hundred and eighty one million dollars in one year alone. That's an insane amount of cash. That's the year Soldier Boy came. Yeah, oh yeah, reference. oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, that, I think that was like the height of that kind of like and Jim Jones ball in that year. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. And I was middle peak middle school dance for me, listeners. Oh so like, yeah, okay, able yeah. To no wonder. Out here. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it's just sort of like speaking to this general theme in America that even when like everyone is sort of like getting fucked, uh, we somehow find a way to like fuck people of color over just a little bit more. Sure, steal our culture, burn our towns, erase the history, and yeah. then act like it was yours to begin with. Right, right. Uh, so there's like a really great uh, article on that called um, "How Hip Hop Underdeveloped" or "How Capitalism Underdeveloped Hip Hop," uh, which is a play on a, another book by Walter Rodney called uh, "How Capitalism Underdeveloped Africa." And you can Google it; it's really good, and it sort of lays out this whole process in like broad strokes. So to like really drill this home, we're going to uh, take another trip to one of my favorite places, Conspiracy Corner. Oh, yeah, 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 which is uh, where you are, where I was going hang out with Ryan. Hey, yeah. <laughs> is it comfy? Like, are there snacks? What goes on? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a wide corner, so you can space oh, yourself it's out. It's true. There's, yeah. a lot, there's a lot of room. Cool. There's, a lot, there's a lot of things in here. So, right. So, yeah, in, uh, in this episode of Conspiracy Corner, uh, we are going to talk about a letter that was anonymously posted on Hip Hop is Red uh, back in, like, 2011. Um, it it kind of goes into this, you know, reoccurring theme of a hyper exploitation, but also, you know, it speaks to um, the elements of like cultural hegemony, right? Where you have uh, like private sector, uh, private sector factors sort of like deciding the fate of the sort of like national culture uh, and affecting materialist conditions by by uh, influence, you know, by 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 giving us uh, sort of like values from the superstructure. Right. Um, so according to this letter. Uh, this is an anonymous source from within the music industry who said that in tw 20 years ago, in 1991, he was part of a secret meeting between other music industry executives and individuals from the uh, what would soon become the for-profit prison industry. Right. And the idea was to uh, use their record industries to sort of shape national culture by um, pushing uh, like 
gangster rap, quote unquote, you know, to the forefront of the mainstream, um, leaving behind sort of like the more conscious, like political stuff, like public enemy or like the, I just want to have a good wholesome time. Um, like, you know, Will Smith or those guys like sort of to the back. Right. And, uh, I'm going to read this, um, this paragraph from this letter and, and just kind of give you a sense, you know, not verified. Right. But, uh, here in conspiracy corner, we entertain sort of like all notions of all things being possible. Right. So quickly after the meeting began, one of my industry colleagues who shall remain nameless like everyone else thanked us for attending. He then gave us the floor to a man who introduced himself by first name and gave no further details about his personal background. I think he was the owner of the residence, but it was never confirmed. He briefly, he briefly praised us for all the successes we had achieved in the music industry and congratulated us for being a select part of a small group of decision makers. At this point, I began to feel slightly uncomfortable at the strangeness of this gathering. The subject changed as the speaker went on to tell us that respective companies we represented had invested in a very profitable industry, which would become more rewarding with our active involvement. He explained that companies we work for have invested millions into the building of privately owned prisons and that our positions of influence in the music industry would impact the profitability of these investments. I remember many of us in the group immediately looking around at each other in confusion. At the time, I didn't know what private prison was. I wasn't, but I wasn't the only one. Sure enough, someone asked what these prisons were and what this had to do with us. We were told that these prisons were built private by privately owned companies who received funding from the government based on the number of inmates. The more inmates, the more money the government would pay these prisons. It was also made clear to us that since these prisons are privately owned, as they became publicly traded, we were able to buy shares. Most of us were taken back again. A, a couple of people asked what this had to do with us. At this point, my music industry colleague, who had first opened the meeting, took the floor again and answered our questions. He told us that since our employers had become silent investors in this prison business, it was now in their interest to make sure that these prisons remained filled. Our job was to help make this great situation for us because rap music was becoming an increasingly profitable market for our companies. And as an employee, we remember looking around to make sure I wasn't dreaming and I saw half of my fellow co-workers with their jaws dropped. My days was interrupted when someone shouted, is this a fucking joke? At this point, things became chaotic. Two men who were part of the unfamiliar group grabbed the man who shouted and attempted to remove him from the house. A few of us, myself included, tried to intervene. One of them pulled a gun on us and we all backed up. They separated us from the crowd and all four of us were escorted outside. My industry colleague who had opened the meeting earlier hurried out to meet us and reminded us that we had signed an agreement and would suffer the consequences of speaking about this publicly with those who attended the meeting. I asked him why he was involved with something like this corrupt and he replied that it was bigger than the music business and nothing we'd want to challenge about risking consequences. We all protested as he walked back into the house. I remember word for word the last thing he said. It's out of my hands now. Remember, you signed an agreement. Trey, you can spare a few moments from other investors. Yeah, yeah. Into this. Think about this shit. Like, fuck cereal and whatever the hell they just talk about. <laughs> Why does anyone get to the bottom of this fucking, this fucking guy dude. and see if this shit really happens? It just made me think of, like, like 50 Cent being co-opted, like, immediately. You know, Oof. like, shit like that. Like, right. You know? And we've been talking about, like, uh, cult responses to all these different genres, like, effects it had on the people who listen to it. Like, we're talking about, like, you know, that wimp rock 
making generational fucking soy boy like guys whatever <laughs> then you were talking about how this fucking Keith America Uber Alice country music produces uh Trump's bass then we're talking about now how these young kids are dick stations and, and and doing group dances together and stuff like that I'm like what <laughs> I mean go off it's, it's totally cool but you like also, that no, it's funny. It's great. Oh, yeah. But I mean, also, this is the result, it's right? It's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, well, cause and effect. But we're also looking at, like, uh, is, is that kind of cultural front in the most popular, like... Jaden is good. Then we're looking at, we're looking at the sort of, like, creations that lead to the prison industrial complex. And it's brutality. Like, all of that. Yeah. Is 100%, dude. And I mean, just people you're just saying, too, Drew. I'm like, it is that, like, total, like, distraction culture, too, right? Each different thing, it's giving you, like, a really firm identity that's involved with, like, self and beliefs. Like, it's some sort of consent and then, like, you know, disables you from being able to participate in collective action. Yeah. It was certainly uh, more profitable for you to sort of go away from gangsta situation or whatever. You can't profit off of that because parents agree with that. They want what the kids have and that there's a huge money sitting. Yeah. If you can go with Soulja Boy, he's silly. Play this for the kids in the car. I, I get the censored version at Walmart. Like, all kind of stuff just totally thin. Yeah, but I mean, but even still, they maybe the, the street element has been, like, sort of, like, drawn back. Like, recent developments, like, uh, Chief Real Cena, mm-hmm. those fucking dudes out of Jacksonville. Who I Smoke. Who I Smoke. Ooh. Uh, and, like, songs like that shit that it's coming back. You also have even in the mainstream with like bands like Migos and shit like that, uh, they're they're talking about the end results like that street life, fucking like the guns, the cars, have got in the content. It's like, this lifestyle was a cr- and like that again is by the uh, like industry and large on like the cap onto population. And these kind of things have you know, the FDR quote I read this episode like the fucking president of the time knew that this was essential shaping national morale. It knew it was essential thing to, to uh, like making sure that Americans eating a certain way. And when we say culture, we mean that these are owned by the capitalist class. So like it is values as being pushed on us either. Buddy, I know that you'll probably very little patience for this. Yeah. Being the path to me oh, is God. exactly oh, shit. God. It is so fing funny. I heard I heard a podcast talking about it and they're just like the like all, the whole movie is a satire about like capitalism and the music industry and all this other stuff. But when you're watching and literally every part of everything with an average altar, there's a target God. background. <laughs> they're drinking this from Pepsi. The entirety of it, that whatever. And then the whole plot of the movie is that they're playing like a uh, underground, or they're playing like subliminal messages behind the songs to just be <gasps> like, "You want to buy this? Yeah. You you should listen. This is cool." And so the movie, if you skip the between parts and just focus on the evil record industry, it's fucking brilliant. Did I just, just watched it. Out? No, was this was terror. This is Tara well, Reed. This was a uh, mm-hmm. uh, fucking... 2008? Yeah. Oh, Rosario Dawson turned 21 on the set of that movie. Oh, like, what a great drummer. party. She was the drummer. Yeah, Josie and the Pussycats. Go watch that movie. Oh, it's I, fucking dope. I thought it might be like a continuation of like Riverdale right now. No, this was way pre that. Oh, yeah. Okay, this where... was not like the dark take on shit. Cool, 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 cool. Like 2008. Yeah, but right, I, yeah. I, I, I tell you, Josie and the Pussycats in their head. Movies that were about the changes yes. in the music industry that we were describing in this episode. Like, this is how... This is what I think is like how you kind of cut shit through. With these sentiments, like, code in, in the media that we were presented, cinema, you know, fucking cheap. Like, they all, you know, they always hint. You know, like, certain directors will present hint to who the real bad guy is. Who's, like, staying on the uh, and Wow, like, Kanye that, West, gay fish? How can yeah. you know? How can <laughs> you know? <laughs> how do they know that, that going after an ego is the worst fucking thing? That's how we got Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, yeah. Seth Meyers made one of them at the thingy, and then, and then he was like, oh, you, I'm going to be president. They did a whole Comedy Central roast of Trump. Yeah, but he got to control, they control those. The oh. roasties get to say, oh, you can't do this. At, apparently, well, Mike, the situation really here, went off here's on that Here's the funny one. thing. <laughs> apparently, the only thing he wouldn't let people talk about uh, was how he's not really rich. Whack. Mm-hmm. Whack. 
Mm-hmm. Well, well, well. Well, well, well. So let that one sit and marinate. And uh, I think that's pretty place to end this episode. Cool. Yeah, I was, yeah it was fun. I wow. had so much fun, guys. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, uh, takeaway time. Like, the, the thing that we, we want people to sort of, like, remember from this conversation um, is sort of, like, this relation between uh, the material aspects of society, which is, like, the businesses, uh, you know, and who owns them, and the cultural aspects of society, which in some cases is what these businesses produce. Like, the music industry is very much part of what uh, Gramsci would call the superstructure. And, um, you know, we, as the base, we consume the products from superstructure, uh, and that sort of, like, shapes our values and our way of thinking. So, we, you know, we mentioned this, like, the, the wuss rock, you know, the, the feelings rock, you know, this is all, you know, our theory, right? Like, that could lead to, like, what we know as, like, the sort of, like, incel types mm. and the uh you know the aggressive soy boys or whatever mm. and then you know it's it's pretty easy to see a more clear line between like the toby keith boot up your ass angry americans and the people who voted for trump sure you know sure. it's if it, if that conspiracy corner little segment about that letter from the music industry is true like you can certainly see how like gangster rap and street culture rap gets pushed to the forefront in a correlation growing with like our ever-increasing prison population as well as just like police brutality and the murder of people of color like by the police in a seemingly like unchecked and like you know basis right uh so the point is to say that like culture is something that comes down to us from the ruling classes right they own the mechanisms that produce it so we have to always be critical kids you know always take a look at what you're watching and what you're listening to and ask yourself the questions like where is this coming from and why oh yeah always be questioning always be questioning <laughs> all right that's good i figured out a long time ago that it's much easier to control people when we're all watching the same tv shows listening to the same radio stations going to the same movies looking at the same billboards eating the same food and speaking the same language 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 Just but, go, just go. Um, I'll, I'll give a shit. I, I'm out. Well, yeah. You're I'm in a band, bro. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. I, I mean, I do people about you. Yeah, I play in. Uh, I play. Yeah, I play in two bands actually. I, I'm a songwriter in a band called The Zells, um, and I, I play bass in a band called Original Citrus. Uh, so yeah, show's about to be starting again. Uh, podcast is the No Judgment Zone. The, a Man About Town. Jerome and I work together. You might see us. <laughs> I, like, like, uh, forget whatever the city paper says. Roman is 
one of the best Pittsburghers you ever. Wait, did uh, City Paper say you weren't a good? No, I mean whatever, whatever they have. Whatever whatever the <laughs> I'm sure they have a list, and, yeah. and if he's not on it, it's a fucking shame. Oh, it you is know? A shame. Huh. They have best jag off, so why wouldn't they have like the yeah, nicest really? guy? Nicest guy. Yeah, nicest guy. Nicest guy in So everything that Roman's involved in, you want to be involved in. Yeah, support that shit. This guy. Play and spend it for the whole joint Cause I like to get the whole point Music is everything to me I refuse to rock the piece Cause you my favorite MC All I want is what you would ask of me High quality in some definition Wonder why we bootleg like it's prohibition It's difficult, it's dismission I got suspicions that your ears to the street When we whispering, are you listening? listening I took your listening. LP to DC With some youngins gave me the LD on how it should be Make sure the beat knock till the trunk pop And everybody pause when you cruise down the block Roll down your window when they ask what you playing But don't nobody care what you saying uh, That's uh, what they told uh, me, yo. Hey, yo This is a message for our people chasing Benjamins With real rhymes and skills they believe in that Keeping them jack tapes rolling like Michelin's It don't matter cause niggas ain't listening They ain't listening, they thinking about they Timberland They say the shit we talk about ain't we got a better chance of blowing up in Switzerland. Holly, if you hear it, cause niggas ain't listening. Yeah, one look at us. Little brother about the sex. Oh, my thing about the sex. Oh, you right here, your fuck.